We're glad you got in on it. And we have been studying this week in John chapter number 15, so I want you to find your place there again, if you will, in what has become one of my all-time favorite chapters of the Bible. It's been a long time, frankly, since I preached from John 15, but I feel definitely led that this is where God wanted us this week, and I've enjoyed it. Uh, on the Lord's Day, last evening, and now we return there again this evening. Let me give you just a little overview. Can I give you the 30,000-foot flyover, just the bird's eye view for a second? Turn back one page in your Bible to John chapter number 14. Some of you get nervous because you think I'm getting ready to preach a whole other chapter. I'm not. Just stay with me a second. Do you see in John 14 where he begins this way? Let not your heart be troubled. How many of you see that in your Bible? That is the beginning of the section we are studying. Uh, you do know that when the Word of God was given, there were no chapter and verse divisions. So you've got to read through the chapter division, read through the verse divisions. And do you remember Paul Harvey? How many of you know who Paul Harvey was? You just told your age, all right? And all the young people here say, Paul who? Paul Harvey could tell a story like nobody could tell a story. And he would always go to that dramatic pause and say, and now for the what? Rest of the story. You have heard him. Well, you've got to read through the chapter divisions to get the rest of the story. Now, we kind of jumped right in the middle of it, but it's, it's an ocean you can swim around in for a long time and never get to the shore. I want to challenge you to do something. I want to challenge you to take this section of the Bible, not just John 15, this section of the Bible in the next few days and spend some time there devotionally. Now, don't start reading while I'm preaching tonight. You have to do it on your own time, all right? But start in John 14, verse number 1. That's where this begins. If you have a red-letter edition Bible, you see all the words of Christ here in red. Turn back. John 15, all the words of Jesus. You get to John 16, Jesus still speaking. At the end of John 16, the disciples start asking him some questions out of his teaching. He answers those questions. Then you get to John 17, and the conversation continues, but it continues in the form of prayer. It's beautiful. In John 14 and John 15 and John 16, Jesus is talking this way. Look up here just a minute. He's talking this way. When you get to John 17, Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven and he starts talking this way. Isn't it beautiful that prayer is just as natural as teaching was to Jesus? That he could go out of one conversation and into the other seamlessly. This is, this is beautiful. And there's a divine order here. In John 14, 15, and 16, God speaks to us. How many of you want God to speak to you tonight? And when you get to John 17, on the heels of God speaking to us, we speak to God. And so as we open the Word of God tonight and we say, Lord, we want to be in tune. We want you to teach us. We want you to speak to us. I want you to know where we're going. We're going to go to John 17. Not, not literally. We're not going to study it. But we're going to go to the time of prayer at the end of this meeting. And I'm going to ask you to take what it is God is showing you from the Word of God and talk to God about that. With that in mind, let's return now to John chapter number 15. We pick up right where we left off last evening. We basically studied the first half of this amazing chapter already and talked about what it looks like to be a fruitful follower of Jesus. And then you come to verse 17 where Jesus says, These things I command you, that ye love one another. If the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Stop and look at me just a minute. There's only two kinds of people in this room. 
There are those that belong to the world and there are those that belong to the Lord. Only two groups. If we could see like God sees tonight, we wouldn't see in this room male, female, old, young, rich, poor, educated, uneducated. We wouldn't see that at all. We would see here are those that belong to the Lord and here are those that belong to this world. By the way, you can't have it both ways because the Bible says the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You, you, can't, you can't live partially given to the Lord and partially given to the world. You've got to pick one. Which side will you be on? And Jesus, speaking to his own followers, said, I just want you to know I... I chose you out of this world. That's what the word church means. It's a called out assembly. We major on the assembly, and I like the assembly, but may I ask, called out of what? And the answer is called out of this world. The whole world doesn't know God, but don't you think God's people ought to know God? The world's not going to live in a way that pleases the Lord, but don't you think those that profess they know Jesus as their Savior ought to live like they belong to Jesus Christ, like he's actually made a difference in their life? And so Jesus says to them, look, I've called you out of this. Verse 20, remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they've persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they've kept my saying, they'll keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I would not come and spoken unto them, they'd not had sin, but now... They have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none of the man did, they had not known sin. But now, now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. Jesus said, when I showed up, I tore the mask off. And I showed them what they were in the sight of a holy God. By the way, that's what revival does. You know, we clean up for church and we come in, say our little religious cliches and sing our hymns. But I'm going to tell you, when real revival comes, God just pulls the mask off and says, let me just remove the cloak for a minute and show you what I see. Oh, Lord, show us what you see. And don't leave us that way. Change us, Jesus. And then he says, look at verse 25, but this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the comforters come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning. I said to you last night that when these words were spoken, Jesus was walking with his disciples. Did you know that's still what Jesus wants? He wants us to walk with him. He was walking with his disciples on a, on a tough night. It was the night of his betrayal and arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. They've just had the Last Supper. He's washed their feet. Judas has left and gone out to make his arrangements, and now Jesus and the eleven... They're walking across the Kedron Valley and crossing the little creek there and headed towards the foot of the Mount of Olives to a garden where Jesus has gone many times. How do you think Judas knew the place? Nobody had to tell him where he was. The Bible says Judas knew the place because Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. I personally think Gethsemane was Jesus' prayer closet. He prayed everywhere because 
We ought to always pray without ceasing. But he prayed somewhere because there were definite times where he just left the city and got out of the multitudes so he could just commune with the Heavenly Father. And this was the night of the great prayer meeting. And on his way to the prayer meeting, on his way to pray, Jesus is pouring into the hearts and minds of these men that he loves and that he's about to leave. He is preparing them to live by faith. See, for three and a half years, they've lived by sight. How many of you think it would be pretty nice to live by sight? I mean, come on now. How many of you would like to watch Jesus walk on the water, yes? Would you like to go out here and stand at the cemetery and watch Jesus raise a dead man? How many of you would like to come to that service? Sure, that's, that's living by sight, but at the end of this three and a half years, our Lord is going to be crucified and buried and risen from the dead, and 40 days later, He's going to send back to the Heavenly Father, and now they're going to have to do what all of us do. They're going to have to walk by faith and not by sight because the Christian life is a faith life, and so Jesus is getting them ready and telling them what they need to know. For a few moments tonight, I want to take these closing verses of John 15 and say to you, Here's what you need to know. You see, what Jesus said to his first followers is applicable to those living in the last days. In fact, it applies to everybody that lives between his ascension and his return. And that's where we're living. We're living in the parenthesis. We're living in the church age, the age of the Spirit, the age of grace. It's an exciting time to be alive. And I'm going to tell you where I think we're living. I think we're living near the end of the story. We're not just living in that period. We're living on the edge of the coming of the Son of God. Do you understand that Jesus could come back before I finish preaching tonight? The last sounds you may hear tonight may not be the dismissal prayer, the final amen, or the instrument. No, no. It may be the trump of God that sounds and the dead in Christ rise, and we that are alive and remain will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Can I tell you, that would be the greatest way to end this service tonight. I don't know when he's coming, but I know this. He's coming. And here's what Jesus is saying to his followers. Are you a follower of Jesus? Do you belong to the Lord? Or you belong to this world still? Because if you belong to the Lord, here's what you need to know. There's a little phrase. I, I was just sitting here on the front row a minute ago looking. You know the Word of God. It's like a diamond mine. Like every time you look at it, you see another facet. You see another little gleam of light coming off of it. And you think, man, I never noticed that before. But I noticed something. There's a phrase that all through this little discourse, Jesus repeats at least 11 times, if my math is right. And I'm not a mathematician, and it's not always right. So it could be more, but it's at least 11 times. And mark it in your Bible, would you please? It's the first two words we read tonight in verse 17. What's the first two words, class? These things. Would you mark that in your Bible? These things. And nothing in the Bible is there by accident. Every word of the word is important. So why does he refer to these things? Back up a page, would you please? Now look at John chapter number 14. Remember this is where it all started? Look at John 14, verse 25. Mark it in your Bible. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. These things. Come back to chapter 15. Look at verse number 11. These things have I spoken unto you. Verse 17, these things I command you. Verse 21, but all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake. Now come over to chapter 16. What's the first two words, chapter 16? Read them with me, church. Ready? These things. Look at verse 3. And these things will they do to you. Verse 4, but these things have I told you. 
At the end of verse 4, And these things I said not unto you at the beginning. Verse 6, But because I have said these things unto you. Uh, look over, please, chapter 16, verse 25. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. And then, if that were not enough, look at the last verse. Look at verse 33. Why does it begin? These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Can I tell you what I'm, what I'm preaching on tonight? These things. You know what these things are? They're the things Jesus thought was important. Don't you know if Jesus thought it was important, we ought to think it's important? And if we're going to find the, the right emphasis, we've got to find out what Jesus emphasized to his disciples. Look, when Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, he didn't talk about everything. He didn't talk about foolishness. He got down to business. Let's get to the bottom line tonight. Let's get down to what really matters. What do you need to keep in mind? What are these things in your life? We'll go back with me to John 15, and let's make a little short list from these closing verses. Ready? Number one, here's the, here's the absolute necessities, the spiritual realities, the, the things that we all need. Number one, love one another. Love one another. Look at verse number 17. These things I command you. This is not optional. This is a command that ye love one another. Now, I would point out to you, that our love for others is preceded by our love for him, and that is preceded by his love for us. There's a beautiful chain reaction of the love of God in this passage. God loves us first. He always goes first. Jesus didn't say take up your cross first. He took his cross first. Jesus didn't say surrender your will first. He surrendered his will first. Jesus didn't say be a living sacrifice. He became a dead sacrifice. Hear me, please. We love him because he first loved us. God always goes first. And so God loves us. And what is our love for God? It is simply our response to his revelation. When we see his love for us, we must respond and say, yes, Lord, I love you too. But now it gets down where we live. Because if you really love God, guess what you're going to do? You're going to love one another. It's like I'm asking, well, what's, the, what's the greatest commandment? That's easy, Jesus said. First commandment, love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Oh, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt what? Love thy neighbor as thyself. Do you know what should most characterize the lives of the Lord's followers, of those who belong to Jesus in these days? The love of God. I have never seen so many angry people in my life. The whole world's mad right now. Have you noticed? The politicians are all mad. Families are mad at each other. People can't get along. The world's at war. I've never seen so much strife and contention in my life. Would you like to know why? Because that's what flesh produces. Let sin have its way and let man do his best and his worst. And what you get is a world full of fussing and fighting and feuding and friction. And I watch this. Only one thing cuts through that hatred and harshness, and that is the love of Almighty God. And Jesus said to his disciples, By this shall all men know you're my disciples. When you have what? When you have love one for another. May I ask you a question? Would the people that know you best say you're full of the love of God? See, if I want to know what kind of Christian you are, I wouldn't ask your pastor. For the record, I haven't asked your pastor about any of you this week. Aren't you glad? I wouldn't ask him. I'd ask your husband, your wife, your children. If you want to know what kind of preacher I am, you can listen to a sermon. If you want to know what kind of Christian I am, you'll have to talk to Tammy about that. 
And maybe Morgan and Lauren and Grant could shed a little light. Because, see, nobody knows you better than those that live with you every day. None of us are better Christians than the Christians we are in the privacy of our own home. I'm not talking about just cleaning things up and have a good enough facade so everybody thinks you're okay. I'm saying to you, if you're going to be a true follower of Jesus and you're going to be ready to meet God someday, you've got to love the Lord, and if you really love the Lord, you're going to love those he loves. Who does he love? He loves all people. Jesus didn't say, by your beautiful buildings, they'll know you're my disciples. I'm glad you have a beautiful building, but that's not the thing that should mark this church. He didn't say by all your standards and convictions or, or, your, or your preaching style or your songs. What did he say? One thing should characterize the life of the true follower of Jesus Christ, and that is the love of Jesus Christ in us. Would you like to know why that's the one thing? Because that's the character and nature of God. That's not something else to add to your spiritual checklist. It is who God is, and you cannot give that in some superficial pretend way. It's got to be real or it's not there at all. You can't pretend to love one another, and you can't make that happen on your own. Some people have taught this like it's some psychobabble. You stand in front of the mirror and say, all right, we're going to love today. We're going to love today. We're going to Let me just tell you, that's the worst way on earth to love today because you're going to be miserable and you're not going to succeed. Let me tell you how to love. Would you like to know how to love? Get as close to God as you can. Get all the junk out of God's way. Watch this. And the closer you get to the God of love, the love of God will rub off on you. When you get God's heart, you start feeling like he feels and thinking like he thinks and speaking like he speaks and working like he works and wanting what he wants. What is this? Oh, friends, this is the love of Almighty God. And so he begins here with loving one another. He points something else out interesting to you. Would you notice, please, where the command is sandwiched? Now, he said it in verse 12, but he repeats it in verse 17. I thought that was funny. Do you know why he repeats it? Because we are all prone to forget it. How many of you mamas and daddies ever had to repeat anything for any of your children? Would you raise your hand, please? How many of you ever got sick of it and said something like this? How many times am I going to have to tell you? Have you ever said that? I wonder how many times the Heavenly Father looks at his children and says, How many times am I going to have to tell you? And Jesus repeats himself, not because he forgot he said it, but because there's something here he doesn't want us to forget he said. Look at the repetition in verse 17. These things I command you, that you love one another, and notice please where that's sandwiched. It's sandwiched between prayer in verse 16 and a world of hate in verse 18. Don't miss that because there's a divine order and a spiritual connection here. Would you like to get your prayers answered? How many people here like to get your prayers answered? Yes? I want you to know, if you're not living in the love of God, if you're not right with God and right with others, don't expect God to answer your prayers. You know what's wrong with a lot of Christians today? They're trying to go through the motions of prayers, and they're desperate to get some answer to prayer, but the prayer line's been broken. The connection has been broken. The prophet said, your sins and iniquities have separated between you and your God. You've let something come between you and the Lord. Get right with God and get right with everybody else and get back on what the old-timers used to call praying ground, and you'll see definite answers to prayer. Peter wrote later in the New Testament, that husbands and wives are not going to get their prayers answered if there's bitterness between them. Look, you want to get your prayers answered? You want to see God work? Get right with God. Get right with one another. And when you do that, guess what? The God of love will demonstrate his power in your life. And then in verse number 18, you've got a world of hate. In a hateful world, what do we need? What sets us apart? 
What, what shines the light of Jesus? The love of God. Number one, these things, these things. Here's what you need to know. Number one, love one another. Let this church be known as a church full of the love of God. When people walk through that door, look here. Let the worst sinner in town walk through that door. And instead of somebody saying, wonder why he's here, let us rush to him and put our arms around him and say, we're so glad you're here. And by the way, don't bottle the love of God up inside this building. When you walk out the door, carry the love of God with you everywhere you go so people will know you're a true follower of Jesus Christ. Number one, love one another. Number two, expect the hatred of the world. <laughs> the exact opposite of love is what? Hatred. And when you're living in the love of God, somebody's going to hate it. Because everything God ordains, Satan opposes it's funny. God made Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden. Perfect. Perfect. It's perfect. Somebody said, man, if we could just figure this out, we'd have things right. It'd all be good. No, you'd probably mess it up then too. Because there is no perfect people, there is no perfect family, and there is no perfect circumstance. And if you're waiting on that, you're going to be waiting the rest of your life. They had the perfect circumstance, and still the devil snuck into that garden. It doesn't take much room for a snake to slither into your garden. You better, you better be watchful. They lived in love and hatred just kind of slithered right in there. How easy it is for us to allow these things to happen. But I, I was noticing God made trees and birds and fish and animals and everything, and the devil didn't do a stinking thing, not a thing. And the minute God made Adam and Eve and put them together, Satan went to work. You know why that is? Because Adam and Eve had the capacity nothing else in the created world did, and that was the capacity to fellowship with God and with one another. And Satan loves to divide that. Hear me. God is a God of oneness, and Satan is a God of division. Sin scatters, but God gathers. You love God and love one another, and just expect that a devil who hates God is going to hate what God is doing in your life. Do not think if there are spiritual victories going on right now that Satan is going to sit by silently. And so... Look at verse number 18, if the world hates you. And from verse 18 all the way down to verse number 25, he talks about the hatred of the world. He, in fact, tells us three things. May I, may I just show you what they are? First, he shows us something about the world. What does he show us about the world? What's the things about the world? He reveals to us that they don't know God. You all know why the world hates Christians. You, would you like to know why culture is so adversarial to church right now? I'm going to tell you why. They don't know God. They don't know God. And by the way, you can get angry at them. You can get annoyed at them. You can get agitated with them all you want to. That's not going to change their heart. Maybe instead of fussing at them, we ought to weep over them. Maybe instead of talking about what a hard time we're having of it, we ought to recognize that the Lord's people have always been the remnant of the minority people and stop expecting the world to pat us on the back for following Jesus. They don't even know God. They must know the gospel to know God. And what do we know about the world? They hate us because they hate God, because they don't really know the Lord. Then he tells us something, not just about the world. He tells us something about Christ. What does he tell us about Christ? They hated him first. You know, I think sometimes we're going to be embarrassed when we get to the judgment seat because some of the Lord's people right now are whining their way to the rapture of the church. We're like grumbling and groaning and talking about how bad it is, and you hear people say, it's never been this bad before. You might want to buy a history book before you say that. 
Because there have been periods where they put people to death and you've not yet resisted them to blood striving against sin. When you kneel at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus and stand next to the martyrs who were burned at the stake, I don't think we're going to tell everybody what a hard time we had of it. I want to remind you, they hated Jesus before they ever hated you. And if they hated him and you're his follower, they're probably not going to be a real big fan of you either. There's a third thing. This is where it gets personal. Would you write it down? He not only tells us something about the world and something about Christ, he tells us something about ourselves. Would you like to know what he tells us about ourselves? That we don't belong to this world. Look, church, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through you might want to stop putting your stakes so deeply in the ground of this world because you're getting ready to leave out of this world here pretty soon. Don't live for time. You better start living for eternity because if you're really a child of God, your eternal home is heaven. You're only going to be here for a little while. You're going to be there for a long while. And so love one another and expect the hatred of the world. Can I show you something really practical? I noticed this, just meditating in this passage this week. He talks from verse 18 down to verse 24 all about the hatred of the world, the hatred of the world, the hatred of the world. And then in verse 25, he quotes from the Psalms. You see where it says, uh, the, the law be fulfilled, they hated me without a cause? There's actually two different Psalms that say that, Psalm 35, 19 and Psalm 69, 4. And it dawned on me, I love this, that by example, he's teaching the disciples the best thing they can do in a, hatred, in a hateful world. Would you like to know the best thing you can do in a hateful world? Meditate on the Word of God. Instead of listening to their voices, get back in tune with God's Word. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. You know what it means? It means they can criticize, they can mock, they can persecute, they can push back, they can laugh, they can pass laws, they can blaspheme God, they can take the love of the name of Jesus in vain, they can do anything they want to do. But the child of God can have his heart and mind kept in the peace of God if he will live in the pages of Holy Scripture. You live on the promises and principles of the Word of God and God will sustain you in the midst of this hateful world. There's a third thing. Come to verse number 26. Here's what you need to know, these things. Number one, love one another. Number two, expect the world's hatred. Number three, depend on the Holy Spirit. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Remember, he's leaving them. But he said, I'm sending another one just like me. I'm going to send my spirit. He's going to live in your heart. Occasionally, I think, man, I wish I could have been one of those early disciples and just walked the Galilee with Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit reminds me that I have something just as wonderful. I have the person of the Holy Spirit living inside of me wherever I walk. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. We're going to see Jesus face to face and live with him someday, but I don't have to wait till then to have the divine resources. I have him now in the person of the Holy Spirit. I don't know why Baptists get nervous when you start talking about the Holy Spirit. You shouldn't have to be nervous about him. He's a person. He's not some spooky ghost. Uh, people sometimes get this idea it's just some mystical kind of thing. He's a real person. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, the Holy Spirit of God, co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal with God the Father, God the Son. Matter of fact, look at verse 26. All three members of the Godhead right here in one verse. You've got the Father. You've got me, that's the Lord Jesus, and you've got the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth. And do you know what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit brings all of heaven's resources into your life. Jesus made a way for man to come to God. Watch this. And the Holy Spirit makes a way for all of God to come to man. Jesus made a way, bless his name, that I can go to heaven someday. But the Holy Spirit makes a way. 
that I can have heaven's riches in my heart today. Do you know the Holy Spirit? How well do you know him? Has he talked to you lately? Are you in tune with his voice? Do you ever speak to him? How many of you think it would be a little strange if somebody moved into your house, lived there for 40 years, and you never talked to each other? How many of you think that would be a little strange? Sounds like some marriages, but that's for another kind of meeting, you know. And yet there are people that get saved and live for 40 years as a Christian and never give any thought to the God living inside of them. And I love this. Jesus says, fellas, I'm getting ready to face a hard night, and you're going to face some hard days, but the Holy Spirit's coming, and he's going to help you with whatever you need. There are two names for him in the verse. Would you mark them? The first is the comforter. It literally means somebody who comes alongside to help. Aren't you glad you don't just have man's help, you have God's help? Anybody in this room need God's help right now with anything? Anybody need God's help with anything? Well, I want you to know the Holy Spirit will help you. I don't have the answers. This preacher can't straighten out all your situation. Nobody else may even know what you're going through. But the Holy Spirit, the comforter, is God's great helper in your lives. And then, mark this one, the spirit of truth. Some people really like that name comforter because it makes them feel good. It gives them the warm fuzzies, you know. But they don't like the spirit of truth so much. I want you to know our God's a God of grace and truth. He tells it like it is. The Holy Ghost doesn't come just to make you feel better. He comes to help you know God's way. And for the record, when you get on God's way, the Lord will help you with all the comfort you possibly need. In a world of lies and deceit and guile and uncertainty, don't you think we need the spirit of truth right now? I do not know all the needs represented in this room. In fact, I know very few of them. But I know this, the comforter, the spirit of truth is more than enough to meet every one of those needs. Here's what you need to know. You need the Holy Ghost. You need to yield to him and obey him and follow him and let him work in your life. These are the things the followers of Jesus must have at this time. One final thing, and we'll be done. Look at verse 27. And ye also shall bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Now, obviously, these first followers from the first day call them. That's the reference here. But notice the application to us. These things, here's what you need to know. Number one, love one another. Number two, expect the hatred of the world. Number three, depend on the Holy Spirit. Number four, let God use you as one of his witnesses. I've marked in my Bible, ye also. Ye also. Everybody turn to the person next to you and tell them, ye also. Would you please look at them and say, ye also. No, no, get your preaching finger out. You'd do better. Look at that center next to you and tell them. Ready? Ye also. Ye means me. Let's get personal. Look at the end of verse 26. He said, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He comes to testify of Jesus. And ye also shall bear witness. This is, this is profound. You ready for this? We get to work with the Holy Spirit to tell people about Jesus. Would you like to know what the Holy Spirit's doing in the world right now? He's telling people about Jesus. Would you like to know what God's people are supposed to be doing in the world right now? Tell people about Jesus. Matter of fact, stay with me 60 seconds. Go to the last page of your Bible, fast as you can. Not the concordance, please. Revelation chapter 22. Look at one verse. End of the Bible. Jesus still trying to get people saved. On the edge of eternity, still inviting men to come. Look at Revelation 22, verse number 17. 
You should mark this in your Bible and connect this to John chapter number 15. Jesus is speaking again. Look at John 20, Revelation 22, verse 17. The last thing the same man, John, ever wrote under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Look at it, Revelation twenty-two seventeen. 17. Read it with me, ready? And the Spirit and the bride say, come. Would you mark that in your Bible? What is the Holy Spirit's great word to sinners right now? Come, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Who's the bride? Talk to me. Who's the bride? That's the church. That's us. We're the bride of Christ. Guess what our message is supposed to be? The same message the Holy Spirit is giving. What is it? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Don't you think the bride ought to be saying the same thing the Holy Spirit's trying to say? Go back to the end of John 15 and see it again. In verse 26, the Holy Spirit is speaking of Christ. In verse 27, we are speaking of Christ. And we're laboring together with God. And God is working with us and in us and through us and for us to help us hold up Jesus in this world and draw men to Jesus Christ. We've had each night these training sessions on witnessing. Oh, I'm praying. Somehow the sweet Holy Ghost of God, the comforter, the spirit of truth will work in this local church. Dear Lord, don't let this stop tonight. Let the Spirit of God awaken some of the Lord's people in this place to become true, vibrant, aggressive, courageous, bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. And somebody says, I want that preacher. I just don't know how. All right, I'm glad you asked. Would you look, please, mark two words. In verse 26, I want you to mark the word testify. And in verse 27, I want you to mark the word witness and connect the two. May I tell you, the greatest witness is a testimony. How many of you would like to witness and see somebody saved? How many of you would like to witness and see somebody saved? Here's how to do it. You tell them how Jesus saved you. You tell them what Jesus has done in your life. And that testimony will be the strongest witness you could possibly my last time with you for a little while. Who knows? Could be the last time forever. Jesus may come soon. So here's what you need to know. When I come to the last meeting with a church like this, I'm not thinking about this meeting. I'm thinking about next week and next month and next year. I'm thinking about the days ahead, these things. Jesus leaving the disciples. He said, fellas, don't have time to talk about everything, so let's just get down to it. And it's amazing. But this portion of the Bible, some of the richest stuff in all of Scripture. I mean, I love all of, all of the Word of God. I love every one of the parables and sermons of Jesus. But like one, one of the Bible commentators said, he said, John chapter 15 is the strongest food in the Bible. I like, we're not on baby milk right now, friends. We're on meat. Here, here, let's get down. Let's get serious for a minute. I'm not trying to entertain anybody. I'm trying to help you. Here's what you need to know. Love one another. Expect the world to hate you. Just expect it. If you're people who belong to the God of love, depend on the resources of the Holy Spirit because it'll be more than enough. And then let God use you as a testimony to witness so that 